We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you are listening to episode 15, Magical Christmas Land. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. Say hello, Travis. Hello, Travis. So we put our heads together uh, last week, and we were trying to come up with an idea for a podcast, and we decided that since we're approaching Christmas, and we probably won't record another one before then, we thought this Christmas, or this episode would be Christmas-themed. Um, that's why we've dubbed it Magical Christmas Land. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Magical Christmas Land as a concept and has, how it applies to magic. Uh, we're going to be talking about some wish list items for Magic Online. And then to wrap it all up, we're going to open a few gifts, and we have uh, a couple of reviews of... Uh, spoiler cards that have been released for Aether Revolt. So stay tuned and we hope you enjoy your stay. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Travis, what is magical Christmas land? Panharmonicon. Next topic. <laughs> Panharmonicon <laughs> is magical Christmas land, isn't it? It really is. I think the concept of Magical Christmas Land, when people say that, what they're meaning is a, a couple different things. But the primary one is viewing a card that has a very high ceiling, meaning it can do something very powerful, but not only looking at that very powerful outcome without recognizing all of the places where it can't really do anything or where it's going to perform poorly. So specifically in Magic, the game, that's what we're that's what most people are talking about when they say Magical Christmas Land. It's kind of living the dream scenario where you resolve your pen harmonicon and then three things with comes into play abilities and somehow you're not dead and you get all this value. Yeah, and I think well, actually the, one of the most important things about Magical Christmas Land is that it's not something that that um you don't use this term, you don't use this concept for things that come easy, things that, that are easy to play, things that are easy to get to work. Um, you know, for example, from Kaladesh, the uh, the Blue Gear Hulk, the Torrential Gear Hulk, that is not Magical Christmas Land. Magical Christmas Land is taking a Panharmonicon with three end of the battlefields effects and thinking, boy, if I just go curve out two, three, four Panharmonicon and then play all three of my enter the battlefield effects the next turn, I can just win the game. That is more Magical Christmas Land. Things that are just like, you know, long weekend land or like you know summer vacation land those are those are the cards that are easy to set up those are the cards that come once a year you know or once a year once a month you know reliably you know you don't have to put any work together to, to get this deck or this card to work magical christmas land we are talking this takes it to the extreme you know scenario a b c d e all have to happen all have to come together and then even then you still might not pull it off you still might not win the game that is Magical Christmas Land to me. Yeah, and then there's like cards, Doom Blade. That's the exact opposite of Magical Christmas Land. It does what it says on the tin. Flame Tongue Kavu, that's not Magical Christmas Land. That's just a card that does exactly what it says. You get a 4-2 and one of their things is dead. So for, for me, I, I kind of consider Magical Christmas Land living in a fantasy world. Um, for me, I've never drafted, I, and I use Pan and Harmonicon as an example because I, I'm kind of done drafting Kaladesh now. But when I was, I would open one and chat would go nuts. Pick it, do something cool. And I'm like, no, that card's terrible. Like, it, it doesn't attack, it doesn't block. I'm going to play this and somebody's going to kill me and I'm going to have this in play and that's that's not what I'm after. Um, like, it's it's okay to go for those magical Christmas land. Like, I did force the mill deck and return to Ravnica. And I think that needed to happen. I wanted to show everybody how it worked and we resolved a lethal psychic spiral. Our opponent happened to have cancel which really sucked because uh, then I, I couldn't win. But like, that's a magical Christmas land deck. Like I, I had to go into that drafting that expecting that a psychic spiral would get opened and eventually pass to me. And I got it very late in pack three. So like that, that was living in magical Christmas land when you, you set these wild expectations and then are somehow able to connect. But I, I think generally speaking, if you want to be good at limited at good at magic in general, 
you're going to do better to try to stay away from magical Christmas land. It's a fun place to visit and a fun place to daydream about, but take Doom Blades, take Flame Tongue Kagus, stay away from these cute Trixie combos. Trixie combos. That, that's just not what you want in your deck day in and day out. That's true. Now, you know, on the other side of the coin, though, you know, Magical Christmas Land has this incredible upside. Magical Christmas Land, when you get there, it is one of the most amazing feelings. When you're, you know, you're top decking like a madman and everything's working out for you, or, or you're drafting and everything in pack three comes up Travis or comes up David, you feel great. I believe that there are times when you're forced to rely on Magical Christmas Land, let's say as an out, or like, you know, your deck is a train wreck, and you go into pack three and you're like, oh man... You know, I sure hope that everything works my way and, and we go to Magical Christmas Land. That's a bit of a different concept, but I think something important to to keep in mind when it comes to magic in general or, or, or I guess, drafting, games or drafting, is that sometimes your only out is Magical Christmas Land. So, you know, your, 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 your draft is a train wreck in pack one, but pack two comes along and you take a couple of bombs thinking, well, if everything works out for me and I somehow get all the fixing that I need in this pack and pack three pays me off you know, this deck might turn out playable, might turn out on okay. If it doesn't, you're in huge trouble. And the, the upside is, is maybe tremendous, or maybe it's just, you know, you just have a playable deck. But sometimes you're forced to take those risks, and sometimes you're forced to recognize that Magical Christmas Land is your only option to, to have, you know, Christmas dinner with your family, is to take the last train out of town and, and hope you get there on time and hope the, the roads are good or the, <laughs> you know, you know, the train doesn't do all along the way or something like that. Like, you know, sometimes that's your only out. Um, it's just, if you end up in that spot, you've probably done something wrong. You should probably be going <laughs> home for Christmas a week early, you know, especially since the weather's bad in the United States and in Canada, you know, around Christmas time. So, you know, recognize that magical Christmas land is an out. Just don't ever rely on it. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of scenarios in game that, uh, that, that fall into that, fall into that category. Um, but I remember when you drafted that mill deck, um, you were basically forcing it and hoping to get to magical Christmas land in pack three and you got there and it was an amazing feeling being part of that chat experience. But that's the main reason why you don't want to rely on magical Christmas land is like if a psychic spiral had not been opened and passed to me. I have a deck that legitimately can't win a game. Um, so that, that I argue not to force decks in general because that's that's kind of where you end up if you're trying to force a deck. So I, I really like that delineation you've made there. Is like if, if you're relying on Magical Christmas Land to win, you probably took a wrong turn somewhere. And then when you're in game, I think like you know, like I said, like sometimes that's your only out. So we talk about this concept of of having outs. And for those that aren't aren't familiar with it, uh, it's. I've adopted it from poker, um, but I think it, it may have started somewhere else. I don't remember exactly, but poker players generally talk to playing to your outs. So, you know, if if you need, if there's four cards left in the deck to make a straight and the straight is the only way you win, you have four outs out of the deck. So in, in, in Magic, you know, if you need to top deck a land or you need to top deck a specific spell, those are your outs and you can start putting those numbers together. So if you have, you know, two cards in your 30 card deck are outs, you know, you have a one in 15 chance to, to hit those outs. Sometimes you need a very specific combination of outs to hit and you multiply all those probabilities together and you end up with like a one in 1000 chance. That is magical Christmas land. Sometimes though, that one in 1000 is your only out and sometimes you need to set the board state and you need to set the game up to get to magical Christmas land. If you are so far behind that the only thing that wins you the game is, I mean, top decking a fumigate is a bad example because that's just one card you need. But if you need to top deck three specific cards or you need your opponent to make a very specific mistake and you need to top deck a card, now we're talking about a magical Christmas land that you may find yourself in, but you may have no choice to find yourself in. And... I think recognizing those spots where you're way behind and you need to either take a risk or you need to, to, to rely on your top deck and you need to set yourself up in a way that sets that win up if you get there. Um, I think kind of getting to the next level as a Magic player is being able to recognize those spots. And you don't want to live in Magical Christmas land, but knowing it exists and how to get there, um, even if you can't get there, you know, you know, 99 times out of 100, I think will help you go a long way as a Magic player. You've, you've scratched on a topic that I could talk about for hours and have talked about for hours on stream, which is playing to your outs. And, and you're right, some of them are, are ridiculous scenarios where like, I have to draw these three specific cards in this specific order, and I need my opponent to draw three lands in a row. And, and that's shooting the moon. 
right? Like, sure, that can happen. Let's live that dream. If that's your only out, take it. But there's other times where you have two outs in your deck if you sit there, but you have four if you swing all your dudes into theirs, let them take some good blocks, and leave them at five life. And those are the plays that I'll make on stream and people will say I'm crazy because, you know, seven times out of ten, I lose because of it. But I'm not actually losing because of that. I was going to lose the game anyway with the board state as it was and knowing the contents of my deck. But those three times where I win, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that worked. I'm like, I can. We got ourselves into a scenario where a 30% chance to win the game seemed great because we were at 100% to lose earlier. So I, I, I think that really comes down to the core concept of recognizing that when you're playing Magic, your goal is not to not lose your goal is to win. And if you lose, it doesn't, nothing matters what your life total was, how many permanents you had in play, how many turns you lasted, how many cool things you did. The only thing that goes on that match slip is number of wins and losses. Everything else is irrelevant. Nobody's going to remember it a year later. So I, I'm constantly trying to remind myself as I'm playing, because that is my goal, win this game is what's going to bring this game to a close. Because it's, it's easy to go on autopilot get caught up in the mechanics of, okay, I'll tap my lands, I'll play this spell, I'll take these actions, do I have good attacks, I'll make them. But like sometimes you need to make bad attacks in order to force through a bit of damage or encourage your opponent to swing into you so that that, that one card that you could draw that turns the game around now turns into two cards that could turn the game around. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Play, play to your outs, know what they are. If you're playing on Magic Online and we are, that's what we're talking about here, you need to have a screenshot of your deck. It needs to be on a second monitor or a second page that you can easily flip to and go look and see what your outs are and then do the math. I have a calculator on my desk. I pull it out on stream all the time and calculate the odds to draw either a specific card or a specific land or whatever it is that I need. Like if you're playing online and you're not utilizing that, you're leaving some percentage points on the table. Yeah, and, and this game, a match of, you know, a game of Magic or a match is, is I look at it as, as a, just a series of percentage points, a series of win probabilities. So when you sit down against your opponent and you know nothing about their deck, they know nothing about yours, and you draw your opening seven and you both keep, you know, generally speaking, you're 50%-ish to win, depending on if you're if the player, the draw or whatever, you know, your, your percentage points might fluctuate a bit. But every decision, every play you make, every play your opponent makes shifts that win percentage at any given point from 50 to 0 or to 100. It goes up or it goes down. There's no options. And all of the decisions you make either add or subtract from your odds to win, from your chance to win. And on Magic Online, obviously the draws are incredibly rare, so you don't have to worry about any weird scenarios like that. But, you know, if you hit your land drop, you inc increase your percentage chance to win by 0.5% or whatever. Like, like, you can't really put those things into numbers, but the concept remains is that you're always working toward this 100% chance to win right? You're always working toward a board state where no matter what your opponent does, you win the game. You have lethal in the air and, you know, they're, they're top decking, right? They're, they're, they're 5% to, to get to just survive to the next turn. You're 95% to win the game on the next turn. Or you're, you're no, all you got to do is, is survive to the next turn and then hit them in the face with a burn spell. Well, if your opponent's not playing any land gain and has no lifelink on board, you're 100% to win, right? Like, like you're always just kind of working yourself toward these scenarios. So, you know, if you are like, if your needle's on the other side and you're 1% to win, that 1% is like magical Christmas land. It is like the Cubs winning the World Series or, or you know, you know, a team being down, you know, 45 points in a basketball game and coming back to win. Like it is possible. That's why, that's why when you look at those sports stat sites that give you the probability of, of teams winning or, or teams losing or, or coming back from a deficit or something like that, they're never zero. Mm -hmm. They're always 0.1 or 1% to come back because there is that magical Christmas land, that, that concept that anything can happen. And if everything goes right, as long as, it's, as long as there's enough time left on the clock, as long as you have enough turns left on the clock or you have an out in the deck, you can win the game. It is very rare to be in a game um, for much longer than a couple of turns where you're 0% to win, at least in limited. You always have an out you know, most of the time, all of the time for, for all intents and purposes. So play to those outs, play to your luck, play to Magical Christmas Land if you have to. Just recognize that you're always in the game. It's funny how this conversation has gone completely away from where I thought it would go, but I love that we're talking about this as a concept because I think it's a really interesting concept. I, 
I think I'm going to try to wrap it up with recognizing that I'm now going to think about magic based on your analogy there, kind of like quantum mechanics. Like it's, it's a series of probabilities about who's going to win this game. And at the end of it, Schrodinger's game has collapsed down to one decision. But as long as I'm 1% in it, that's where never give up, never surrender comes from on the stream. I am not scooping. You need to kill me. And I think that's why there's still maybe 0.0001% that it's going to collapse down to me winning. So magical Christmas land, quantum mechanics, I'm on board, man. Let's, let's keep playing. I love it. And actually, this is interesting. I think this is a topic for a podcast for another day, but this also leads into the concept of um, getting lucky and your opponents appearing to be lucky. You know, have you ever had one of those opponents, uh, you know, or, or you played games against somebody or whatever, where they're just like, oh man, they always have it and they always beat me. Like, how do you get so lucky all the time? And the concept of setting yourself up to get lucky, I think could be an entire episode. Um, and I don't mean, you know, going to the bar and, and hitting on the opposite gender. I mean, you know, setting yourself up with good play, um, putting yourself in a position to win. And when you do get lucky and you do hit that magical Christmas land, you're able to take advantage of it. Because I think the worst thing in the world, I've, I've never really experienced it, but I would hate to, is finally getting to magical Christmas land and then not winning the game. Yeah. I think that would be the ultimate letdown. And um, I think we can have an entire podcast on that. So maybe we'll set that up for the future. But if anybody has any questions about this, I have a lot of theory and, and, and things like that from my from my poker playing days as well as my board game playing days. So we can hit me up on Twitter or in Twitch chat. And we can chat about that. But um, luck as a concept is not random. You know, it's the same for everybody. So those that are getting luckier than you, those that get to magical Christmas land more often than you, uh, there's a reason why. So we'll talk about that again next time. And um, But for now... Enjoy your magical Christmas land. It's uh, it's the holiday season. It's the best season of all. And why not enjoy a little luck with your magic next time you're playing? Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. Right down Santa Claus Lane. I don't know where Santa Claus Lane is, but it sounds like an amazing place. So... My favorite part about Christmas is coming up with the wish list, or at least my kids' wish list. I like to help them figure out what should be on their list and, and send that around, and then I get to go shopping for everything. But um, one of my favorite things as a kid was obviously making that wish list, and I'd look through the, the toy catalog, and I'd circle everything, and I'd come up with all these ideas. And, and as I get older, you know, I you know I have ideas for what maybe what other people want or, or things like that. So what I wanted to do as part of this episode is talk about so we're very lucky to have magic online i think we're very fortunate and uh, we should count our blessings that we can all play magic in an environment that is accessible and easy and relatively inexpensive uh, for most people and um but it's not without you know it's room for improvement so i kind of wanted to put together like a magic online christmas wish list and um i was hoping that maybe you could help me out with that that wish list so do you want to start or do you want me to start well, I've got one thing on my wish list, so I'll start and then we'll check out some of yours. How's that? That sounds great. Because the one thing that I want, and I have wanted for a long time, and I really wish they could figure out a way to implement it, is chaos drafts. I want to take three packs of whatever I want. I want to set up a queue for me and seven of my buddies, and I want to draft with them. Like, I'd even settle for just queues that I could set up for me and my buddies. That would be enough. So that me, you, Martin... You know, you get the picture. We could fill out a draft and have it on our own. We could stream all the sides. We could record all the sides. We could set up our own streamer showdowns. But it's even better if I can just bring three packs of whatever and jump in and play it. Because Chaos Draft is fun, and there's just no way to replicate that on Magic Online. So that that's my big number one thing on my Magic Online Christmas wish list. I love it. Uh, and there's so many random packs floating around on Magic Online that, you know, you could have used them in the, in the flashback drafts and things like that. Like... You know, why not have a way for people to use those those boosters or, or sell new boosters or things like that? Get more cards into the market with the the flashback drafts from the last year. I mean, there was a like a lot of opportunity to get a lot of these staples into the magic economy online and bring down the prices of some of those cards. I mean, cards are cheap already online, but it got a lot of them even cheaper. Yeah. But that would be so much fun to just go back and just build your own draft pool or even randomize it or everybody brings three packs and, and, and shuffles them up and puts them in the bag. 
Um, you actually stole one of my wish list items. I wish we'd coordinated this because, you know, now I kind of <laughs> have nothing to talk about. But the other half of that, so it's like two wishes in one, I like it, is being able to do drafts with your buddies or, or private queues. Yeah. And I don't know how easy or harder this is. And I'm sure that there's complications to it and you don't want to splinter the the draft environment. But one of my favorite things to do with Magic, and I wish I got to play Paper Magic more because um, I just don't have the time these days, but... I had a play group of about 10 guys, uh, and we would buy a box every set, and we would sit down, and eight of us would get together, and we would draft it. And sometimes we'd hand out prizes, sometimes we'd save them for another draft, depending on where in the set we were. And some of the most fun I've had playing Magic was with those same eight or 10 people just drafting the most recent set. And, you know, I, I don't mind going to stores, I don't mind drafting online, but there's something to be said, trash-talking your buddies... And, and you know, you know, hate drafting from your your girlfriend or your boyfriend or 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 the people across the table from you. Like, it's just so much fun to to be able to to play on a more personal level. And Magic Online is great, but the, the anonymous experience is sometimes detrimental to to casual Magic. I would say, and uh, being able to draft with your with your friends in a in a safe environment. You know, safe. I use safe, but I mean like you know, no cheaters and and you know, no harassment and things like that. I think. Um, I think would be amazing. So I love both of those ideas. And I think even, you know, private drafts, you know, even if they were just the most recent set um, and pricing doesn't even matter, like I would pay full price to draft with my buddies and get like less than the regular prizes that would be in a normal Magic Online draft. Like I like playing for prizes and I like playing for expected value and I like winning, but I think I value playing with my friends if I could more than the prizes, the output out the other side. So I, I wonder if, if there's been research done to what wizards could do or what Magic Online could bring in for something like that. I hope, I hope that if they haven't done it, that, they, that, they, that there's an opportunity for them and they have investigated that opportunity and that I hope it's on kind of their roadmap to, to where Magic Online goes in the future because leagues were great, flashback drafts were great, 6-2-2 draft queues are, are great, um, you know, seal leagues are great, a lot of things about the limited environment have, have been great over the last year. And and I, and I think this could be one step further to, to just enhance that online experience. And you probably bring a lot of customers to the, to the game. So if anybody out there is listening, um, you know, from, from Wizards or anything like that, like, you know, we love Magic Online, but it'd be so much fun if we could play with our friends on Magic Online. I would play a lot more. Same. And you have a lot of streamer, or a lot of uh, chat buddies that would play, you know, your subscribers on Twitch or things like that. Like, Oh, heck yeah. That's an awesome opportunity awesome opportunities there to to you know bring in more people to watch magic on twitch and and engage with your community so yeah i think that would just be great all around Mm -hmm. okay so my wish list which is kind of one b to that i would say or one c to that is you wanted chaos draft yes i wanted custom cube so of course the prerequisite to that is having you know your buddies be able to draft with you but what about taking your collection online and building a cube? So we just saw recently the the Create the Cube contest, the Twisted Color Pie Cube, which a lot of people had a lot of fun with. It was awesome. Some people didn't like it, but I think the most important thing there was is that the community got to flex their creative muscle and come up with a cube that was implemented on Magic Online. Like, that is really cool. How cool would it be to be able to create your own cube and then share it with your friends online. So as long as you have it in your collection, you have the cards in your Magic Online collection, Magic Online says, all right, well, you made a cube out of it, you bundle it up into a cube, and now you can draft it with your friends. Same thing, you know, maybe you pay a couple of tickets, there's no prizes that come out the other side, but, I mean, I like doing that in real life. You know, my friends, I have I have a stupid popper cube, and, and it was the most fun I'd have drafting when I was new to Magic, so I'd love to be able to recreate that experience online. Yeah, I would happily light tickets on fire to draft your cube with you and fire up Skype, get online with the, the person that you're playing against, have the trash talk, see all the cards. That would be fantastic. Like it, it would even be on Magic Online. You could have the version of the card that you wanted, right? Like you could choose the Master's Edition Lightning Bolt or 10th Edition Lightning Bolt, whichever one you wanted in your That would be awesome. Yeah, I would play that right now. Why don't we have that? You know... I sympathize with the developers of Magic Online because 
they have a lot to do in a short amount of time whenever a new set comes out. So I'm for those that don't know, I am a developer and, and I work under a lot of deadlines and things like that. And one of the things that I hate is when somebody comes up, like one of our clients or, or team member comes up with a great idea and we can't implement it because we just don't have time. So I'm, I'm you know, I sympathize with them. That's probably why we don't have these cool things. But gaming and things like that is, is leaning, going toward more of a custom style route, like, like a custom game route. So like games like Heroes of the Storm or, or you know, things like that. Hearthstone where you can, I guess Hearthstone doesn't really have it. I shouldn't say that. But more like Heroes of the Storm or, or games where you can play custom games. You can set up your settings and you can customize your, your gameplay experience to fit you. You know, Overwatch. I'm going to Blizzard games because Blizzard is fantastic in kind of the, the PvP environment when it comes to games like that. But there's all sorts of other games, you know, Civilization VI, things like that, where you can tailor your game experience to what you want. And then you can share that experience either by modding or something like that with your friends. And you can all share that gameplay experience together. And I think I think that kind of customization, that kind of interaction with the community or interaction with your friends would take Magic Online to the next level. Hell yeah, sign me up. I want to play now. <laughs> okay, so, and I've got one more thing for my Magic Online wish list. And um, which is, it's inter- it's great because... You know, I think this is this has been a really good year for Magic Online. Relatively good experiences all around. General improvements to the quality of the offerings that are online. Quality of 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 the the gameplay experience. It's come a long way since this version launched originally. Um, I think the one thing that is lack well, two things that are lacking. One is it feels like the player base is still really small. So on my Magic wish wish list, my Magical Christmas Land wish list, is that more people can experience Magic Online. And whether that means that, that the barrier to entry needs to come down or there just needs to be more exposure to the, the random player um, to bring more people online. But I think I think it, it Magic is in a good place online and increasing this, the player base, increasing the community, I think, um, you know, obviously it's not a software thing, but I think that would improve the experience for everyone all around. You know, wait times would be lower. There would be more opportunity for competition, more tournaments, more inbound money, you know, more reason for them to spend money on Magic Online to make it better and continue to grow the game online, um, which is then probably the next step to like more of an esports type thing or, or more more tournaments online that are that are big, big name tournaments. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of that, so hold on, where was I going with that? So more people, uh, oh, more community interaction. So, you know, it, it is getting better and, and there's a lot of people that stream it, but I think it's still a very much an, an anonymous experience and which is which is fine which is good you know that that's fine for a lot of people but i think you know more community uh, driven events or uh, more community interaction more reason for people to get engaged with other people that are playing the game online and that this is probably not something obviously that wizards can do but they can definitely help foster that environment and they are kind of working that way with the the paper magic very very well so there's a lot of you know uh community members you know they went to the, the PAX demonstrate or the PAX uh, exhibit this year was amazing and things like that but I think if they can bring that to the online experience and, and help drive more people to play the game I think that would basically float the boats of everyone you know a rising tide uh, raises all boats um, mm-hmm. and and I, I I hope they're going in that direction I believe that they're going in that direction but that is on my wish list is that you know more community more people more fun for everyone sounds good to me so I think, I mean, I think those are reasonable expectations, but I think Magic Online is in a really good spot, especially, like I said, with the changes this last year um, for limited players. You know, costs came down recently. Um, you know, obviously that hurts players like you where the pack prices have come down, but in general, for most people, it costs less to play Magic now online, and there's more uh, flexibility in how we play the game now. So I think it's, I think we're in a really good spot, I think. But if I could play against my friends, dear Lord, I would never stop playing. Yeah, after the leagues, I'm super happy with where Magic Online is. Like going back, I guess the last thing I'd put on my wish list would be that the flashback drafts could also be in leagues because I've really enjoyed playing RTR and I'm really looking forward to playing Gatecrash here shortly. But having to wait between rounds, it's like, oh my God, this is so awful. And that's what we did all the time. So the the leagues have been fantastic. I'm very happy with where uh, Moto is. But yes, adding these things to it would, would make it a supreme experience. It's funny. It's like going back to the the single elimination cues. It's like the dark ages of Magic Online, but it was so recently that we did that. Yeah, it was like three months ago. <laughs> how did how did like I mean you stream every day, but like even me, like it was a nightmare to stream, but I did anyway compared to leagues. And now leagues are just yeah, fantastic. I, I love awesome. being able to start a league and come back to it. So um, yeah, Magic Online doing good things. It was a very good year for Magic Online. We should do like a year in review or something like that. 
I'm dreaming of a white planeswalker. And one was just spoiled, which is fantastic. But before we start talking about spoilers, which is what we're going to do next, I'm going to complain a little bit. And you can't stop me, Dave, unless you edit this out of the podcast, which you probably could do since you do the editing. But I'm going to I'm going to complain about spoilers for just a minute. I don't like spoilers and I don't like spoiler season. And here's why. If you stream or interact with any other Magic players at any point whatsoever, someone's going to come in and talk to you about this card that was spoiled and say, it, either A, is this card playable in Standard? B, this card is amazing in Standard. This card is going to be terrible in Draft. They're going to have strong opinions about one card that was spoiled. And there is absolutely no way to know any of that information until you see the entire set. I just don't know if Shock is going to be amazing, like it was in Gatecrash, or barely playable, like it was in one of the Dragon sets. We had a Shock and we weren't even that excited about it. It's so format dependent. And get aside from the fact that I don't play Standard much, I don't know what Standard's going to look like after a set rotates out and a new one rotates in. Nobody does! So I understand everybody gets excited about the new cards, and frankly, I'm excited that there's new a new Ajani. It's a cat. I'm excited. I'm, I can't wait to read this card and talk about it, but we're going to evaluate it as it is on its own. And we're not going to know if it's going to be great in standard or modern or legacy or vintage or frontier or whatever it is. And I'm just a grumpy old man, aren't I? But how will this play in uh, Singleton, Highlander, Mythic, Planeswalker, Super Friends format, uh, 30 card format? I think he'd actually be quite good. Six mana though, like, is there room in a thirty card deck for a six mana spell? I mean, everybody's playing planeswalkers. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into talk about the spoilers. I I I got that off my chest. I I'm not a grumpy man who doesn't appreciate what spoilers do. Like, I get that they're here to get us excited about the new set, and that's what they're for. I just don't like the I've figured out the format because I've seen this one card sort of things. Yeah, it, basically everybody's living in magical Christmas land every time a card is spoiled. It's like, oh man, this card's going to be great because there's going to be a Planeswalker Tutor at one mana and all this stuff. Like, we just don't know. So I, I agree with you, but I do enjoy the spoiler season from a, um, ooh, what did I get in my stocking? Not, ooh, let me evaluate all of my Christmas gifts at once kind of thing. That's that's when the full spoiler comes out. Uh, that That's when I get really, really excited. Um, one of the things I want to note, so, um, one of the things I hate about spoiler season is leaks. Um, and I don't, I don't hate them, hate them, but what I don't like about leaks is that, that they take away from the people that have been kind of granted these spoiler cards. So it's almost like a, like a thank you to the people that, that, that make content in the community and a thank you to the stores and a thank you to the, the sites that, that keep magic going and they don't have to, you know, they, they, they do it as a hobby or they, they barely break even on it. Things like that, right? Podcasts, whatever. What I don't like is when, you know, people go around digging for things that they shouldn't be finding. Like, sometimes sometimes the things that they find are clever, and, and you know, maybe they were set up that way. Who knows if Wizards kind of planted these things out there. But um, I, I kind of like to stay away from the from the leaks that, that are not conducive to kind of the general spoiler season. Like, we're going to get our spoilers when they come. I don't need to see spoilers, like an entire set spoiled two months in advance because somebody got a copy of a print guide or something like that. I, I don't like those. So what we're going to do is there's a handful of spoilers out there. Some of them fall into the kind of official spoiler category and the rest kind of fall into like a not so official spoiler category. So what we're going to do is we're going to stick to the ones that uh, were featured in the Aether Revolt packaging promos and Planeswalker decks article uh, by Blake Rasmussen on the Mothership on Wizards.com. So we're going to stick to those today. There's one, two, three, four, five cards, I think, uh, plus the Planeswalker decks that we're not going to talk about. But we're going to stick to the official ones for now, um, just because the other ones, you know, they belong to somebody else, in my opinion, and we're going to let them kind of talk about them before before we do. So we're going to go with these ones, and I think the first one up is something that, Travis, you are very excited for. Am I right? I am ready to talk about this right now. Let's do it. This is a Johnny Unyielding. He does not look before he merges. Four green-white... For a four loyalty planeswalker, plus two, reveal the top three cards of your library, put all non-land permanent cards revealed this way into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So that that's creatures and artifacts, right? 
Uh, non-land permanence. You got it. Okay. I, I guess enchantments too, huh? Yes. Actually, yeah. No, those would too, I, I imagine. So it's really just instant sorceries and lands that would go to the bin or go underneath the, the deck. Yeah, and you can get all of them. That's pretty cool. Neg, neg to exile target creature. Its controller gains life equal to its power. Okay, so we're just swords to plowshare people. And neg nine, put five plus one plus one counters on each creature you control and five loyalty counters on each other planeswalker you control. Heck yeah. Yeah, I, I, this is an interesting card. I mean, it's six mana. I'm terrible at evaluating planeswalkers, but at six mana, a repeatable swords to plowshares um, or a swords to plowshares plus gain some number of life because your opponent has to attack a Johnny is probably pretty reasonable um i mean we've played i mean tristani's judgment six man to populate right like in in rtr so and that's fine in certain formats um the plus two probably draws you a card to a card and a half most times when you when you tick up um so and gets the lands out of the way because they're not cards anymore once you have six in play that's true so so it, it kind of gets rid of i mean but there's going to be more on top so you're kind of just digging to them like anyway like you're digging to the ones after that but whatever you're probably drawing like i said one to two cards most of the time and six loyalty like four plus the two is quite a bit so in like a, a board stall um or or a you know not even like a large board stall just that you know i have a big dude you have a big dude and there's no little dudes on board you know ajani can really kind of either exile and you can start swinging through or start ticking up and drawing you a bunch of cards. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if a six-mana Planeswalker is, is viable in Limited. It must be, because it generally is. Um, but we've had a couple of Planeswalkers in the past where they turned out to not be kind of A-plus bomb, you know, 10 out of 10 cards. But, you know, it's probably like a 9 out of 10 at least. Yeah, I, I think the only Planeswalker that was ever not really playable was Tybalt. So th th this is going to be good when you resolve it. It just has too many abilities on it for it to be bad. And it, at six mana, that sounds great. I don't have room for a lot of six drops, but this is certainly one of them if I'm green, because I'll splash the white if I'm green. Magical Christmas Land with a Johnny would be, you know, tick down, uh, defend it, block it, kind of don't lose any creatures, tick up, draw a couple, play two things on your turn, and then next turn, if it's still alive, tick down and, and swords the plowshare or something else. I think that would be Magical Christmas Land with a Johnny, which I don't think is too unrealistic, actually. Yeah, I don't even know that that's Magical Christmas Land. That's just what it does. Like, to get to Magical Christmas Land, you've got to be like, well, I'm going to tick it up twice, and then I'm I'm going to negative nine it and put all these extra counters on my Tezzeret. And, like, now we're starting to talk about Magical Christmas Land. Oh, man, can you imagine? Actually, that ultimate would be pretty good with Planeswalkers in play. Um, <laughs> See, there. this is how it starts. This is how it starts, everyone. Beware Magical Christmas Land. It's interesting because I said, like, it's probably really good in a board stall, but... In a board stall, the ultimate is supremely relevant. Heck yeah. And actually not that unrealistic. So you need to get to 10 or 9, but like 10 essentially because you're typically up and down in even increments. So you take up three turns in a row and you help build out your board. Hmm, interesting. And there were a lot of board stalls. There were not a lot, but there was a fair number of board stalls in, uh, in Kaladesh. So this is going to be an interesting card. I we'll like it. We'll first pick. I have you now. Like I said, it looks really good in uh, Singleton, Super Friends, um, Highlander 30-card uh, format. Looks I'm, really good in that. I'm sure it's going to be a vintage staple. <laughs> six-mana vintage staples? Mm -hmm. Nobody said anything ever about a six-mana vintage staple. Okay, next up. Uh, I'll do this one if you don't mind. We've got Scrap Trawler, which is three colorless for an artifact creature at rare. It's a construct. Hey, we can get this with assembly, assembly workers, right? Are those constructs? No, that those were assembly workers, weren't they? Yeah, they have to get more Never assembly mind. workers. Never mind. All right, all right, all right. Whenever Scrap Trawler... Oh, it's a 3-2. Whenever Scrap Trawler or another artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return it to your hand... Or return to your hand, target artifact card in your graveyard with less or con, or lesser converted mana cost. So we were talking about this earlier uh, off, off uh, recording... And we think that this means less than the artifact that went to the graveyard, but I'm not 100% certain on that one. Um, but essentially, you know, if this dies, you can get a two mana or less artifact. And if you have something bigger, I assume you can get something else back uh, that is less than the bigger artifact. So a, a lot of recursion here and in an artifact heavy deck, um, I suspect that this would be a pretty okay card. But if, if you only have a couple of, of two-mana artifacts, um, then this is just a 3-2 three, for three, which is... Still eh. just fine. 
it's just fine, but it's nothing outstanding. So, you know, if you pick it early, you can generally... It, it, I would bet that you would be able to warp your deck around it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play garbage two-mana artifacts for it. Like, I'm still not interested in, like, the blue puzzle knot or something. But playable artifacts, sure. Like, we, we had the 2-2 Scry guy. That guy was just fine filler level, so I might pick up one of those and play it. Or some of the puzzle knots that actually did something. Um, I played the black one on occasion, the white one on occasion. So I, I could see playing those in conjunction with this, and who knows what, what this format will bring us. I also wouldn't mind picking this relatively early because it's a solid value creature and it's colorless. So it could go in any deck that we're playing. But like I'm usually pretty happy with a 3-mana three 3-2. Three if, if you want to attack, that's a good-sized body to do it with. Yeah, and it and it should be easy, obviously, to get to the yard and uh, trade up with something or, or trade with something that, that is more relevant than this card. So if you can get that extra value and kind of grind out your opponent... I mean, this is this is the problem with spoiler season. We don't know what two-mana artifacts or one-mana artifacts there are in the set. So that will tell us how good this card can be. Um, but if we're just going to pair it with what's in, in Kaladesh, I, I mean, the ability is probably average. Average know, to that, good. Yeah, staple that to an average to good body, and you're looking at an average to good card, right? So it'll be interesting to see what kind of artifacts this can play with. But um, if there's artifacts that are like, five or six mana that you can sacrifice somehow like double puzzle knots or something like that i don't know um then i think this card goes up in value assuming that we interpreted the rules correctly on it yeah even even if we didn't like i said it's still going to be fine we had the one two guy that died and got you an artifact back and that guy wasn't bad because of the ability that was on the card it was bad because it was a three mana one two give it plus two power and then limit what it can get back and you've got a you've got a much better card it's true it's true. So as long as you can get something back. Okay. Next up, do you want to do this one? I like this one. This one's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk through what it does, and then you can tell us why it's amazing. We have Quicksmith Rebel, which is three and a red for a 3-2 human artificier. When Quicksmith Rebel enters the battlefield, target at artifact you control gains. Tap. This artifact does two damage to target creature or player for as long as you control Quicksmith Rebel. It's Flame Tongue Kabu, as long as you have an artifact on the battlefield. And this survives long enough for the ability to trigger, uh, or to, to resolve, I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool. You know, it turns your, like, prophetic prisms or your puzzle knots or your even an artifact creature that is not attacking for damage can just turn into a, a two-damage pinger. So as long as this comes into play and doesn't die right away, and you can get some kind of value off that two-damage right away, I think it's a very good card. Even if you can't, it's not just an, an FTK, it's a shock factory. Mm-hmm. Like, it keeps the ability. So turning your Prophetic Prism into a tap, two damage to target creature or player, this is a finisher. Like, it's almost a five-power creature, but two power is stapled to an artifact you've already got. This thing looks great. I'm kind of like in reverse Magical Christmas Land, where all you get is one activation before your opponent destroys this. This will be a very high target for removal, so, yeah. um, you know, it will die a lot. But that's fine. I mean, they're killing a... A four mana three two and, and not killing your your three three flyer that you played the next turn or something like that because the threat of activation on the ping is is going to be huge and I mean we saw in Kaladesh there's a lot of two power or two toughness creatures you know if the trend continues or even if it doesn't two damage is just it makes combat really difficult for for your opponent as well so this is this is a very versatile card you just want to make sure you have an artifact if you're playing this just as a three two you're sad. you're doing it wrong yeah you're doing it wrong but I mean. There's going to be random artifacts. It's Kaladesh. We've seen that already in, in Kaladesh. I'm sorry, in Aether Revolt. I'm assuming that there's going to be something. Yeah, there should be just artifacts laying around, even if it's not servers or whatever. Like, what, do you need four artifacts in your deck for this to be great? Yeah, probably, I would say. I just, it shouldn't be difficult at all to get anything like four artifacts, if, if Kaladesh is any indication. Yeah, I'm down. Let's mm-hmm. uh, Quicksmith Rebel. All right, next up, Trophy Mage. This is interesting. So this kind of leads us down that path of, well, there's probably a lot of artifacts in this set. Like, duh. Um, Trophy Mage is two and a blue, so three mana for a human wizard. It's common, I believe, or is that uncommon? I can't tell. We're looking at the the, the game day promo art, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, Human wizard, it's a 2-2. When Trophy Mage enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost of exactly three. Reveal it. Thanks, Dutch. Put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So you get to go searching for do-do-do, Scrap Trawler, or do-do-do, all sorts of three-mana artifacts from Kaladesh and things like that. There was a lot of good ones, actually. Um, I like this card, as long as you have 
a three mana artifact in your deck, this is going to draw you a reasonable card. Yeah, and I, I would want a couple, like at least two decent three mana artifacts. I don't want to play garbage artifacts to go find with this because then I'm not really drawing a card. And I don't want to pair it with just one three mana artifact. Otherwise, what happens if I draw them in the wrong order? But as long as I've got two, and they don't even have to be great. They can just be those three, two, you know, pay a red, make it intimidate dudes. Anytime I'm able to get two cards out of one card, that's great. And I think you can do that a reasonable amount of time with the trophy mage. The body's not super relevant. Like Scathe Zombie is not a powerful magic card these days. So I think if you have some powerful three mana artifacts, this goes up quite a bit. But I don't think I'm going to first pick this and then be excited that I can draw some 3-2 artifacts. Like, that that's not doing it. But if I've got an amazing bomb 3-mana artifact, heck yeah, I want a Trophy Mage. Yeah, um, I think I think it'll be a first pick in some packs, if the pack is not very strong. Like, you know, there's, like, no removal, or, or the rare sucks, or something like that. But I, there's obviously going to be a lot of cards that are better than this, but it's certainly not an average card. You know, if you, if you pick it up third or fourth, um, and then kind of try to build your deck around it. I, I could see that being viable just from the very limited information I have about this set. Yeah, we'll know more as more cards are yes. spoiled. And um, and then speaking of uh, getting extra cards, uh, like two for ones. Um, do you want to go the, do read the next card? Our final review or review <laughs> preview of the spoilers on the mothership. Absolutely. This is Yehenny's expertise. Two black black for sorcery. All creatures get neg three, neg three until end of turn. You may cast a card with converted mana cost three or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. Walk me through what that does. It's like Cascade, except from your hand. Mm -hmm. And you can wipe the board early and then dump a three, like a three power play or three, uh, three mana play onto the board before your opponent gets a chance to react. Like so that, putting, that's putting how, them on the back foot. So it does resolve in that order. Everything gets neg three, neg three. Yeah. Then you play your other thing, like, for example, your trophy mage. I, that, I think that's what it looks like. I think that's what it is, yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, I kind of like that. It, it's This is not Wrath of God. Neg three, neg three doesn't kill everything. Like, there were a bunch of three fours, a bunch of four fours rolling around. It, provided there are still vehicles, and there will at least still be vehicles in the Kaladesh pack... This probably ain't killing them. It's a sorcery. So, like, beware. It's it's not doing all that stuff. But this this looks like a strong card to me. Yeah, it, it seems really cool. I mean, like, sometimes you're going to have to play this card without having a, a follow-up play, like the three or less. But if this is a solid turn for a play, if you can shape, you know, if, if let's say you're on the draw and your opponent goes two drop, three drop, four drop, this is going to get all three of those a reasonable percentage of the time. We're not even talking Magical Christmas Land here. We're talking like, you know, there, there's a fair number of turn four plays that have three toughness or less. Or maybe it's a, maybe it's another three drop or something like that mm -hmm. that has three toughness or less. So if you can sculpt the board, if this is in your opening hand and you can sculpt the board around it, you maybe you skip your turn three play and then play that three drop for free after you've cast Yahini's Expertise, you know, you could really set your opponent back. Um, I think this is going to be a, a skill testing card. Um, like you'll have to craft your play around it, but I think it's a really cool card. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to be casting it and not getting the extra card value. Like if you top deck this late, but minus three, minus three is kind of okay just on its own. So this is an interesting card. I'm not sure how to evaluate it exactly. It's like, you, I don't think neg three, neg three is quite enough of an effect for four mana. But the fact that you're spending four mana and kind of almost getting seven mana's worth of stuff mm -hmm. means like there's some instant tempo built into this. I, I really need to like look at all the creatures in the set and see, does this kill everything? Does this kill most things? Does this kill some things? Could see it being matchup dependent. But it, it th this card is doing enough that I like it. it again, it, it's a potential to wipe your opponent's board and resolve something. That kind of power cannot be ignored. Yeah. It's definitely more of a standard plant, I think, but it's, it's one of It's definitely those... going to be good in the new standard, Dave. Yeah, but <laughs> it's the best card in the new standard. I mean, how, how can green, white, blue, red, aggro spirits just survive? Like, it's no longer a deck. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's, it's one of those cards that I think transcends limited and standard 
you know, really, really well. And it'll be interesting to see early in the format. I'll, I'll pick this early. And then as we get further in the format and we see what how it plays out, I'll have to reevaluate. But I mean, first impressions, I think it's a really neat card. Yeah, agree. It's certainly neat. We'll see if it's good. We'll see if it's good. All right, so that's going to end it for those spoilers. Um, what do you think of uh, of the five that we looked at? How, how are you feeling about Aether Revolt? Looking at these, I'm excited to play the format. These cards look neat, they look fun, and we've got a Johnny back. That's really all that I want out of any Magic set is Cat Planeswalkers. As long as I've got that, I'm happy. Yeah, and we don't we didn't see any new mechanics here, um, with the exception of maybe that Cascade. Maybe I wonder if that's going to be common on other cards it'd be interesting to see but then there's definitely the uh the the converted mana cost matters mm-hmm. on a few of these cards too so i'd be interesting to see how how that plays out with the trophy mage and the scrap trawler and even yahini's expertise there may even it's very subtle here but there may even be an artifact sub theme in this set Ooh, you may have just blown my mind i don't yeah. even know how you saw that I, I think that might be going on here <laughs> Uh, you're the best. This is why I hang out with you. No, you're the best. <laughs> All right. For those of you that have had enough of the love in, you're in luck because that is the end of our podcast. Uh, Travis, what did we what did we learn this week? Uh, we learned that spoiler season is terrible, and uh, chaos draft should be on Magic Online very soon. Yeah, and and I learned that. Um, what did I learn? Oh, Christmas is the best, or holiday season, whatever you choose to celebrate. If we don't speak to you or see you before then, we hope you enjoy your your holiday season with your family or your friends or whatever you enjoy to do over the holidays. And if you're in some place cold, we hope the cold's not too cold. And if you're someplace hot, well, lucky you. Yeah. Uh, so we hope you enjoy your holiday season, and we will probably see you back here for the Aether Revolt preview show. Sounds good to me. Set review show. Yeah, that'll be the next one. So that'll be a long one. Buckle in, folks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, in the meantime, where can they catch you online, Travis? You can find me everywhere under the tag Simulan, uh, twitch.tv slash Simulan. And on Twitter, I'm at Simulan. And I am twitch.tv slash DCivilian when I finally get around to streaming again, which hopefully will be soon. And I am the same on Twitter. So hit us up, say hi, and we hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Aloha.